The Jeff Dean Show on ESPN Tucson is brought to you by Desert Diamond Casinos. Desert Diamond is true Tucson. Tucson's only local morning sports talk show. The Jeff Dean Show starts now. Good morning, Tucson, and welcome to the Jeff Dean Show. I am Jeff Dean here with you on this Wednesday morning. May the 4th be with you. Yes, you're going to hear that a million times today. Get used to it. If you're not a nerd, and if you're one of those anti-Star Wars people, I don't have time for it, by the way, uh, just deal with it, okay? Just let us have our day. Everyone has their day. Every person has their day. Some people have multiple days. Today is Star Wars Nerds Day. It's May the 4th, and may the 4th be with you and with you. Uh, we're live here on 1490 AM, 104.9 FM, ESPN Tucson is Tucson's only local morning sports talk show. Jam-packed show today for you. We will have uh, Tyler Drake joining us at 8.30 to talk everything going on with the Arizona Cardinals. <clears throat> Pardon me. And uh, when when last we spoke with Tyler, there was uh, uh, you know a lot of anticipation about what's going to be happening with the NFL draft and on Cardinals draft day and quite a bit has happened since then so we'll have plenty to talk about with Tyler always a good time uh, meeting up with him and uh, getting his thoughts on what's going on in Cardinal land up here in the valley so we'll talk with him as I mentioned at 8 30 we have other NFL news as the NFL international games were announced this morning the Arizona Cardinals are going to be playing in one of those games as they will be hosting the San Francisco 49ers in Mexico on November 21st. It's going to be a Monday night game. So 49ers and Cardinals, it'll be a divisional game in the Estadio Azteca in Mexico. And, yes, a lot of people are wondering whose home game that will be. That is an Arizona Cardinals home game. So uh, Cardinal fans not going to be happy about that. <laughs> so we'll, uh, we'll, uh, we'll discuss that with, with Tyler as well. And other games were announced today. The, uh, the Minnesota Vikings going to be playing the New Orleans Saints. That game is going to be uh, at uh, Tottenham Stadium over in London. The New York Giants going to be taking on the Green Bay Packers. Finally, the Green Bay Packers are going to be playing overseas. They were the only NFL franchise to have never played in an overseas game, and they're finally going to be playing in one that's going to happen uh, on October 8th. That game will also be in London at the Tottenham Stadium. And then at Wembley Stadium, October 30th, uh, it's going to be the Denver Broncos and the Jacksonville Jaguars, who I, I believe Jacksonville has played the most games overseas of any of the teams. So that'll be uh, uh, that'll be an interesting one. Those are the, the three games in London, and and the NFL coming to Germany for the first time uh, as the Seahawks going to be taking on the Tampa Bay Buccaneers. Not a great matchup, but certainly you get the Buccaneers coming into town. You got the uh, or coming into the country, I guess I should say. Tom Brady and possibly Gronk, maybe, and others going to be heading in to uh, to play the home of uh, FC Bayern Munich as they're going to be playing in November uh, for the first time in uh, in Germany. So that's uh, that's some pretty exciting stuff. We'll have some more information on that later on, and we'll talk about it also with uh, with Tyler. The look, look, there's there's a ton of things to get into today, whether it's other NFL news, we're going to have some Wildcat news for you. Not much uh, as the Wildcat baseball team was in action yesterday and uh, got beat up pretty good by GCU once again. Uh, we'll talk about that coming up. The NHL playoffs, which were exciting as can be last night, as I mentioned before you know, in, in the show yesterday, how much I love 
the Stanley Cup playoffs, and it didn't take long to get our first extended game, a triple overtime game, so playing uh, essentially almost a double a double header of hockey, which is absolutely brutal, especially the way those two teams were playing last night. So we'll talk about uh, the NHL playoffs last night and the NBA playoffs is essentially where we're going to begin because that is the news of the day right now because of what happened in the in the later game. The first game, <clears throat> not a whole lot to report there. I mean, honestly, the Celtics punch back against the against the Milwaukee Bucks. They crushed the Bucks, one hundred nine to eighty six in a game that was over at halftime. Uh, that, it, that game was sixty five to forty at halftime. That game was over. The Celtics came out firing, and I mean just guns blazing, and they kind of have taken that same approach that have, that the Phoenix Suns have used to, to make themselves so successful is they're just going to launch a ton of mid-range jumpers. Now, they shoot more three-pointers than the Suns do, uh, do the Celtics, so you know that's part of the reason for a little more boom or bust for them. They don't have as good a point guard, so they have to rely a little bit more on uh, on the three point shooting, extending the, the you know the shot distance out some more, which is going to cause them some problems. But nonetheless, tons and tons of jump shots, <laughs> like like the Phoenix Suns have done. In fact, you know they got smoked in the paint last night, fifty four to twenty four. But they didn't care uh, because they were making threes. They were getting one shot buckets uh, all night long, and uh, they absolutely destroy the Milwaukee Bucks. As uh, that series will now shift back to Milwaukee for games three and four, all tied up at one apiece. So, um, you know, I think that's going to be you – know, a lot of people were, you know, based on what we saw in game one, that it was going to be a short series. And uh, I cautioned anyone who was saying that, that, look, this is this Boston Celtics team didn't win, uh, you know, didn't win all those games this year and essentially tie for the uh, for the Eastern Conference lead in wins this year just because they were going to get smoked by Milwaukee. I think Milwaukee's end up going to end up winning this series because ultimately they have the best player in the series and he is a dominant one. But this series is going at least six, probably most likely seven, just because that's just the way, you know, I I think it's going to play out. Both of these teams have kind of a boom or bust aspect to them. And that's why we've seen the violent swing of score discrepancy between game one and game two. So looking forward to game three, that coming up uh, over the weekend there in Milwaukee. But the real news comes out of Memphis last night as the Warriors and the Grizz were taking on each other in uh, in game two there, and it didn't take long for fireworks and, and all kinds of other things to start flying because early in that game, there's a uh, there's a turnover. Gary Payton the second is heading for an uncontested dunk, and Dylan Brooks comes up behind him and just absolutely crushes him across the head, uh, sending Gary Payton flying to the floor, where he then fractures his elbow. As uh, Steve Kerr mentioned after the game, is that Gary Payton the second fractured his elbow, which means he's probably done for the postseason, regardless of how far the Warriors go. A fractured elbow. That's I mean. First of all, it sounds ridiculously painful. Uh, I don't know how you would be able to perform your duties as a basketball player, though, even after six to eight weeks of recuperation from something like that. So uh, he is—he's essentially done for the for this uh, for this season for the Golden State Warriors. And you know, look for Memphis. I, I guess you know the situation here is is that 
the the ejection and Dylan Brooks was ejected. He was immediately given a flagrant two and ejected from the game, and rightfully so. Uh, there's you know there's no place in basketball for that kind of stuff. And I know that. And Steve Kurtz said it after the game. He says, I don't know if it was intentional, but it was definitely dirty. And he's right. I, I, I don't think that Dylan Brooks intentionally did that. Dylan Brooks has a history of doing this. It goes back to his days in college. In fact, those two have had run-ins with one another in the Pac-12. They played four games against one another, and there was a game that was played in Corvallis where those two were nose-to-nose and having some real serious words after a hard foul from Dylan Brooks. So this is not new territory uh, for these two. This was just a lot more severe. And it leads me to the thought that, okay, you know, where does, where does the retaliation come from if there should be retaliation? And if you go on Twitter, uh, if you go to my Twitter, it's at uh, UAZ Voice if you don't follow me. That I don't Listen, I'm, I'm not somebody who's going to just fish for followers. I'm not that person. I'm not a very exciting person to follow on Twitter. Anyways, I do occasionally put some stuff up there, and I appreciate you guys interacting with that. That's great. Um, but if you want to follow me, you're more than welcome to and interact in respectful ways and, and have some fun. I do have a poll up there today because I want to get the fan pulse on where and if retaliation should come from. So the Golden State Warriors now faced with essentially, I mean, the the guy who was guarding John Morant, he was was the, the primary defender of John Morant in this series. He's now done. And Jaw goes off for 47 last night, scores 18 in the fourth quarter. Oh, by the way, the Grizzlies won the game 106 to 101, but that seems kind of secondary based on the immediate reactions from the game and what happened. Now, Steve Kerr, after the game, said that Dylan Brooks broke the code. And whenever you hear someone say that, that means that, that, that there's something coming. There's, there's a revenge, there's a retaliation coming. What essentially Dylan Brooks did was set up his teammate, John Morant, for consistent mismatches on on the defensive end of the floor now that now that GP2 is gone because GP2 as as Steve Kerr had said was toiling in this league until he found a home in Golden State and was playing hard and had really earned his stripes as a defender and been a been a, a very good lead defender for them on an opposing team's best guard uh because you don't want you know Clay Thompson hasn't been ready to take that mantle back yet as their lead defender Hasn't been there for most of the season. Uh, Steph Curry, we know, is not going to be that guy. Never been known as a great defender. A, a, an average defender, but not a great defender. You certainly don't want to stick him on the opposing team's best player. That's bad news for, for the Golden State Warriors if they do that. So they needed GP2 to, to, to you know somewhat slow down John Morant because look, the Warriors, as, as good a team as they are, and I mentioned this before the series began when I did a, a brief series preview, that I was I was worried, and, and I'm not a Warriors fan, but I would I was worried for the Warriors that they didn't have the athletes to hang with the Memphis Grizzlies. And last night that was very apparent. Uh, as soon as GP2 was gone, they did not have the horses to run with a guy like John Morant, Jaron Jackson. Uh, they just they just don't have it. Even Brandon Clark is soft, and I don't know. I, he's an interesting player. Like he's such an, a tremendous athlete. Like that guy is a ridiculous for someone his size. He is. I, I tell you, that guy in the NFL 
as a six foot eleven tight end would absolutely dominate. He'd be, he'd be the best player in the league. Uh, he's so ridiculously athletic, but I, he just his game doesn't you know doesn't translate. Anyway, uh, still very athletic, runs the floor well, both you know both up and down, offense and defense. So they don't have the 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 the, the athleticism to hang with Memphis. So they're going to have to kind of muddle things up a little bit. They're going to have to try to slow Memphis down in transition and try to play in the half court game because the Warriors will dominate in the half court. I mean they. If this if this series is played ninety percent of the, of the time in the half court, the Warriors are going to win this series easily. But if it's an up and down game, you're going to get what you saw last night. And look, I, I know that it was it was a five point win, and the Warriors didn't shoot the ball well. Seven of thirty eight from beyond the arc. That doesn't happen very often for the Warriors. The Splash Brothers were five of twenty three from beyond the arc. And if you throw in Andrew Wiggins, they were six of thirty. For God's sakes. They just, I mean, they couldn't make, make anything. Jordan Poole was also one of six. They, I mean, they were just awful shooting the basketball last night. And, look, there was plenty of open looks for them. It wasn't like Memphis was playing complete lockdown defense because Dylan Brooks is a good defender for them as well, and they lost him within the first three minutes of that game to the ejection. Um, but here's the problem. You know, they, they, they shoot they the worst shooting game of, of, the, of the, this postseason so far for the Dubs. They lose the game by five points. Okay, it's it's fine. They you know they 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 couldn't hit the broadside of a barn with a basketball, and they only lost by five. But here's the issue, and and this is you know this is what could be a, a potential real problem, and maybe even a series busting problem for the Golden State Warriors. I don't think this will be the last time that happens. Like I don't think that this this eighteen percent from from beyond the arc. I don't think this is the last time the Warriors kind of flirt with that sub-25% three-point shooting game that results in a loss. Now, they're going back to San Francisco. Obviously, games three and four are going to be in the Bay. That's a huge difference. That building is insane. Um, It is so ridiculously loud in there. But, um, listen, this series is – people were just anointing the Warriors as the winners of this series and – going to win the West and, you know, contend for the championship this year. we got a long way to go, folks. So uh, so we'll see. Again, Splash Brothers didn't do well. Warriors had 18 turnovers last night. Steph had five turnovers himself. Um, the game ended on a Clay Thompson traveling violation in the NBA. Like, a traveling violation? <laughs> like, I, I honestly think I've seen two traveling calls all season long. I, I'm, I'm serious about that. Like, you just don't, don't, you don't see them. You see more in a half of a college basketball game than you'll see an entire season for an NBA uh, NBA season. Now, here's what I want to get into today. This is what I want to talk about because I think this is the this is the the thing that that people want to discuss, and and I think the, you know the the real uh, sizzle to this whole story is should there be retaliation from the Golden State Warriors? Now, there are plenty of people out there some of them old school like me that say absolutely there's something coming for Dylan Brooks in game three if he's out there even if it's not even in garbage time uh, if there is a garbage time even if it's not in a garbage time he's getting something something's coming his way and he should probably know that but there are other people out there that are you know that are more of you know take the take a you know a, a, a bigger uh, path of, of pacifism 
and believe that uh, two wrongs don't make a right. You should let bygones be bygones, and you move on. You don't try to injure somebody, like Steve Kerr said. You know, you don't you don't ever try to put someone's you know season or career in jeopardy by doing something like that. Now, how do you police something like that? I mean, do you wait for Dylan Brooks to get airborne on a on a you know on a on a layup and and take a hard shot at him? Do you do you just give him the business from the first time he touches the basketball? Like, how do you how do you deal with this? Or do you deal with it at all? Is Steve Kerr going to tell his players, "Look, just leave him alone, play your game, don't get you know, don't get wrapped up in thinking about how you're going to avenge your teammate, uh, but rather, you know, just just play hard." And the best way that we can get revenge is to beat them uh, in the next two games at home in San Francisco. So you know, there's there's two two general rations of thought there and i want to i want to see what you guys uh what you guys think go to twitter at uaz voice my poll is up there uh it's just a, it's just one or the other either either retaliate against dylan brooks or don't that's basically that's basically it i want to know what uh what your guys thoughts are because you know like we see retaliation in other sports we don't see it in the nfl so much because i think a lot of the retaliation happens like i mean i'll be honest with you it happens in the trenches and we just don't see it like there's a re- there's a retaliation done on repeated basis throughout the game in the NFL in every game in the NFL in the trenches. Some guy uh you know gets a thumb in the nose or uh you know gets cracked across the face down there and he gets something you know something to him in the in, you know, in the next play like where there there's a pile and there's guys reaching and grabbing for body parts and twisting and punching and pulling and all kinds of other stuff going on like it, it gets it it gets gross down there man it's bad uh we just don't see it a whole lot i mean every once in a while you'll see a retaliatory move by a corner or a wide receiver but it, it doesn't make it doesn't make headlines it doesn't happen all that often but we certainly see it in the nhl in hockey obviously there are i mean there's a position in hockey a a, a non-official position in hockey called the enforcer right? Every team has one. He's our enforcer. That means when one of your stars gets put into jeopardy by opposing team, you send the enforcer out to level the playing field or level the player, whatever. Hey, we saw it last night. Saw it last night in uh, in Florida, right? So, um, so those, you know, that we, we, we're familiar with that. Look, fighting is completely acceptable and it has been for a long time in the sport of the, in the NHL. That's how they handle their business. They they take care of things on the ice, but this is look. This is a a process that has taken decades of evolution to where the players aren't just taking advantage of just waylaying on each other. And sure, it happens. It tempers flare and things, but players for the most part look. You know, when covering hockey here in the valley, and and I, I'll never forget this. The Coyotes had a player by the name of George Larocque. George Larocque is by all, by every definition, you know, every sense of the definition, an enforcer. He doesn't have soft hands. He's not a great skater. He's going to score maybe three goals a season. Like he's just, he's out there to beat people's asses. Like that's what he does. And he was very good at. Guy probably could have been a professional boxer if he hadn't been such a sweetheart. Uh, I'll never forget this. I heard the audio because when I, I used to work for the Coyotes back in the day, and this was when they had microphones on the officials for the first time, like the first season that they had microphones on the officials, first couple of years. And naturally, these officials who had been officiating games for 25, 30 years forgot they had that little switch 
on their side to turn the microphones on and off. It happened all, for two years consistently. Like, they were constantly leaving them on or leaving them off. Well, where I was, where I was playing, where I was, where I was DJing, our engineer was set up right next to me, and he had, uh, you know, monitors, reference speakers there, so that he could listen to if something, before we put it out over the air in the bowl, we wanted to hear it locally so that we knew that it wasn't going to be anything going out over the bowl, didn't need to go out there. So he would leave those monitors on, and the officials would always leave their mics on. So we heard, I heard all kinds of stuff. I, mean, I heard an official challenge an opposing assistant coach to a fight once. Like, it was phenomenal. But what I did hear was a face-off fight between Georges Laroque and another player. I think it was from, from Calgary, I want to say. And there was a play that this, this Calgary star, okay, or, or you know, middle, you know, mid-level player came out and gave one of the Coyote stars the business, knocked him down, put him in, sent him into the board, sent him into the locker room for the rest of the period, okay? Here comes George off the bench, and I'm like, oh, boy, <laughs> this, here we go. This is it. So on the microphone, we're listening to this live. You can hear because they're standing right next to the official. And George LaRock says, hey, you ready to go? And you hear the guy kind of, you can hear kind of a, you know, real slight, you know, because he's a little bit further away. And uh, George goes, okay, uh, straight up. And the guy agrees, yes. And he goes, okay. And then just before the, pucks, the puck drops, you hear George say, good luck. And the puck drops, boom, both of their gloves drop, and they go to throwing hands. George decks the guy. And, I mean, just absolutely bludgeons this guy. Um but then he skates off. He, he gave the guy his comeuppance. He gets his, you know, he gets his five-minute penalty in the box, and that's it. And, you know, that's it's all done. It's all said and done. But this has taken decades of evolution of the game to get to that point where we have th- this type of, uh, of sportsmanship, I guess, if you will, amongst players in the NHL. If you were to allow NBA players to do this, they, they just – and it's not it's not indicative of the individuals themselves being too immature to handle it it's just it hasn't been used in the NBA it hasn't been used in in the NHL or in MLB the way that it has in the NHL so you can't trust players to be like okay yeah let's just do this straight up and you know instead you get bench clearing brawls with guys hammering away on one another you know four on one uh, you get coaches grabbing on the legs. You get all kinds of crazy stuff going on. You like it's it's ju- it's chaos. It's pandemonium. You can't have that. So we also have to remember that yes, we've seen it in the NHL enforcing as a part of the game, and it has been for a long, long time. So to expect the NBA to now go into something like that would be very, very foreign territory for not only for the game but for these players as well. So uh, we'll talk about that. I'll give my thoughts on what I think should happen with Dylan Brooks and how I think Steve Kerr should handle this. And I also want to get your thoughts on that as well. You can go to my Twitter at UAZ Voice. All right, we're going to take a timeout. When I return, more on this retaliatory situation next here on The Jeff Dean Show. The Jeff Dean Show on ESPN Tucson is brought to you by Desert Diamond Casinos. Desert Diamond is true Tucson. Now back to the Jeff Dean Show on 1490 AM, 1049 FM, ESPN Tucson. All right, so what should the Warriors do with Dylan Brooks? I am of the opinion, okay, and this is, now this is me. I'm not, I'm not saying this is right or it's wrong, but this is, this is the way that I would handle it. I'm of the opinion that if they, if someone takes out one of your starters, 
And even though it wasn't deliberate, it was somewhat malicious, and it was dirty. That person's got coming to them something. They got something coming, and you're going to figure out how to do it. Now, when, in, when, I was, when I was covering the Suns back in the day, back when they were you know, also really great, once again, when they had uh, you know, Dan Tony and, of course, Steve Nash was point guard, and that great team with Sean and Amari and everybody – you know, I would we we would see the players after the game, obviously, go into the, the locker rooms and stuff and talk to them. And I remember talking to Steve Nash, and, you know, he's out of the shower, and he's just sitting there, and he's finishing up with his, you know, his day and stuff, and he's talking with the media. And during the Spurs series, it was always when they played the Spurs, and they seemed to play the Spurs every damn year, and it drove me nuts. Bruce Bowen was the lead defender for the Spurs back in the day. And I remember seeing Steve's arms. And, like, his arms looked like he had been in, in a fight with a tiger. Like, there were just gouges, like scratching gouges up and down his arms, bleeding uh, up and down his arms because Bowen would sharpen his fingernails, and every time, you know, Steve had the ball, he'd take a swipe at him real quick, just try to gash him with his, with his fingernails. Like, he was dirty, dirty-ass player. Now, I'm not saying that, the, the Warriors need to sharpen their fingernails and go after Dylan Brooks that way. He's not a he's not a lead ball handler the way that Steve was, but you need to find ways that aren't going to be so overtly obvious. Now, unfortunately for the Warriors, they have Draymond Green on their team, who's probably just going to haul off and kick Dylan Brooks right in the nards in the opening <laughs> opening game, opening uh, seconds of the game, and try to call it done and good with. Uh, that's not how it's not how you do it. What you do is you just give him, because this is going to be a long series, you make sure that Dylan Brooks feels every single second of that series, every second of it. When you foul him, you foul him hard. There's no, there's no more touch fouls on Dylan Brooks. Every foul is going to be hard. Every hack is going to be a full-on downward swipe across his forearms every single time. Now you don't you don't take blows to the neck or above you know above the neck to the head things like that. All right, you don't want to get yourself thrown out of games. That's just what they would say is stooping to their level, and that's one way to you know keep your you know keep players or keep kids from doing stuff. But something's got to happen, and 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 I think it's going to be the way I would do it would be a prolonged beating of Dylan Brooks over the course of this series. Again, it's going to be a long series. Make him feel every second of it, but. Don't get a player tossed out just because you want to take a kick in the nards at Dylan Brooks for taking out Gary Payton. That's just, that's not how you that's not how you get even. You get even by shutting him down and sending him no easy buckets, no no more easy buckets for Dylan Brooks. That's for damn sure. Uh, and if he takes liberties again with another one of your players, that's when you send in the goon. They, they got they got goons. Trust me, Steve Kerr's got goons on that team. He can he can afford a a, a Bajelica or or uh, not Bajelica Bielicha. I always I always mispronounce that guy's name. Bielicha, uh, you know he he can he can afford to lose you know a guy like that uh, for taking a taking a shot at somebody. He can afford to lose you know a, even a, a Kavon Looney or something like that. Not that Kavon Looney would be ever capable of exacting any kind of revenge on anyone. <laughs> guys, about as dopey as they come. Um, but something, you know, you, you got to do something. You can't just let it go. You can't. Otherwise you'll get labeled and you don't want to get that label. You don't want to be, you don't want to be labeled punk. Like you can't, you can't be labeled, 
punk, chump, whatever, you know, whatever label you want to put on it, that's, you know, that's what's going to happen in the NBA circles. Player circles are going to be like, oh, you can do whatever you want to the Warriors. They ain't going to fight back. As long as they don't have Draymond out there, they ain't going to fight back. They're not going to do anything. And you can't have that stigma attached to you because then you get taken advantage of. All right. We're going to take a timeout. When we return, we'll talk some NHL playoffs, and we'll also talk Suns-Mavericks game two tonight. And an interesting story was written today or yesterday, last night or early this morning, um, specifically about DeAndre Ayton's effect on how the Phoenix Suns are playing and specifically why they're such a problem for the Dallas Mavericks. And it's a little bit deeper dive than I gave yesterday. We'll talk about that next right here on the Jeff Dean Show. The Jeff Dean Show on ESPN Tucson is brought to you by Desert Diamond Casinos. Desert Diamond is true Tucson. Back to the Jeff Dean Show on 1490 AM, 1049 FM, ESPN Tucson. You know, one more thing, and I, I forgot to even mention this about the whole retaliation aspect of it is we have to remember whose team this is. This is Steve Kerr's team, and Steve's all about karma. He even mentioned it in the, the postgame presser, right? <laughs> you know, he, he basically said, you know, that's, that's not what we're about. He says, I'm a, big, I'm a big believer in karma, and I think there's no way we're ever going to try to injure anybody. Now, trying to injure somebody is different from – Taking your, taking your swipes at them legally, essentially. I mean, you get called for fouls, but no flagrants. And again, you have Draymond on your team, so that's always an adventure. Draymond had to get stitches in his eye, like literally the next play. Like, there's been blood in that series already. What is it with this Memphis Grizzlies team? There was blood and injuries in the first series against Minnesota. Now blood and injuries in two games with the Golden State Warriors. Meanwhile, Suns and Mavericks are just trying to have fun shooting the basketball. Now, there's a great article today uh, on ESPN. It's behind the paywall, so I don't know if, if you know if you have a subscription, great. If you know if not, that's that's fine too. Uh, but Zach Lowe, who does a, a great job writing for the uh, for the, you know, NBA stories for ESPN, put up a really nice story about essentially why DeAndre Ayton is is has become such a dominant player and why you know there's potentially maybe even a shift coming in the NBA to this type of play because the Suns have done something that is almost like unthinkable so and and he he did a statistical breakdown of this and, and look this is something that I've noticed over the last few years but I don't, I don't think I really kind of fully grasped just how much of an anomaly it really is cuz Jump shooting teams generally, you know, they're not the most successful teams in the NBA. That's just not the way it is anymore. I mean, if if you're if you're shooting threes, if you're raining threes, you got great, uh, you know, great distance shooters. Then sure, yeah, I mean, you can you can outscore a team much the way Golden State has done, you know, for many many years. But the Suns are a mid-range to deep two, uh, you know, mid-range jump shooting team, like where they're shooting like eighteen and nineteen foot jump shots. They're not scoring a ton of points in the paint. They still get their, their, their points in the paint, but they're not, you know, that great at it. It's an, old sh- it's an old school style of shot selection, okay? Now, here's the interesting thing about what he says. He says it's, it's a remarkable achievement of shot making and turnover avoidance that the Suns ranked so highly in offense given their shot selection, 
you know, the generalistic tendencies of of NBA teams. The Suns were third in the league in points per possession this season during the regular season. However, they ranked dead last in shots at the rim. All right, so, so think about that. Like three in offense, number three in offensive efficiency, but dead last in shots at the rim, and they were they ranked 25th out of 30 teams in three-point shot attempts, meaning that you know only five teams took less three-pointers than the Phoenix Suns did. So everything was in the mid-range. Now you think, okay, well maybe they're scoring at the at the free throw line. Well, Suns fans know they're one of the not not worst free throw shooting teams but certainly the least. In fact, they were 29th in the league in free throw rate this season. They're 27th last year. And they were 21st in offensive rebounding, meaning they don't get freebies. They don't get second-chance opportunities. They don't, they don't score at the, at the free throw line, and they don't score a whole lot of second-chance points because that's not their game. They don't crash the offensive glass. How on earth were they so efficient? Well, they don't score at the rim. They don't have hype. Uh, they don't take a whole lot of threes. You know, as far as points per possession go, they don't take a whole lot of threes. They don't score from the free throw line, and they don't get second chance points. It's because their first shot is so good, it is so well planned out that they don't need to worry about offensive rebounding. They don't need to worry about driving kicks to the three point line. They don't need to flood guys out there to the corners. They use a motion offense with a dominant center who is athletic enough and big enough to set big screens away from the basket, 18, 19 feet from the basket, and roll to the rim for a quick bucket. They have DeAndre Ayton. He posted videos of uh, did Zach Lowe. He posted two, two videos um, of, of teams playing the Mavericks this postseason. It was One was the Utah Jazz, and the other was the Phoenix Suns, okay? In that Utah, and these teams ran the exact same play, exact same offensive play. Utah ran the exact same offensive play that Phoenix did in this particular uh, this particular set. However, you had you had Donovan Mitchell as the ball guard, the ball dominant guard for the Jazz, and you had Rudy Gobert as your center. So Gobert sets the screen, then essentially turns around, gets in Donovan Mitchell's way. They have to kind of reset. Then Rudy goes in and crashes against Luca in the paint and gets his shot blocked. Like, just no no offensive prowess whatsoever, okay? In the Suns, in the Suns game, game one against the Mavericks, the exact same thing happened. The Suns got the switch where they're able to get DeAndre on Luca down low. In this instance, not only did it happen a lot faster because it took – 11 seconds from the time that Rudy Gobert sent his, set his pick uh, to him getting his shot blocked by Luka, as opposed to three and a half to four and a half seconds, I think it was, for DeAndre Ayton to catch and dunk the ball over Luka, you know, beyond Luka, essentially, uh, in their series on the exact same play. Now, granted, we're going to give Chris Paul a ton of credit on this. He's one of the greatest point guards of all time. You have to give him credit for that, and that has to be recognized as certainly an improvement over Donovan Mitchell, a player that I actually really like, but nowhere near the point guard that Chris Paul is. But you, none of this is possible without DeAndre Ayton. None of this is is possible without what he does and how efficient he is. Now, 
people can say all they want about the fact that he's more of a finesse player and he doesn't, you know, he doesn't crash hard and stuff. Okay, the Suns have guys like that. Okay, they have JaVel McGee, who's a little bit more of a, you know, a little bit more of a guy who's going to mix it up. Bismack Bayambo, of course, going to be definitely that guy with very, very little offensive prowess whatsoever. Are we really going to 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 mince our our thoughts about DeAndre Ayton being a finesse player when he's averaging twenty one and a half points per game on sixty nine percent shooting? Are we are we really going to go there? Like, is that is that what we're going to hang our hats on? Are these these people who just refuse to accept DeAndre Ayton as one of the top centers in the league? I mean, you just look at look at what he does. To the, look, look at what he did in the Clippers series last year. Okay, Clippers went small ball, and, and look, that was a scary series for the Suns. The Clippers were uh, Clippers were dialed in and ready to beat the Phoenix Suns. However, they didn't have anyone anyone that could contend with DeAndre Ayton. He surprised the hell out of them because what they tried to do is they tried to play small, bring him out from the, you know, from the paint and say, all right, big man, see if you can guard our guards. And, oh, by the way, when DeAndre Ayton stepped out to the perimeter, I'm trying to remember the number. I think, I think the Clippers guards shot 23% in that series against DeAndre Ayton. 23%. Meanwhile, DeAndre Ayton averaged over 18 points per game in that series. Oh, and also, by the way, shot just under 70% from the field. Again, I'm going to give Chris Paul a ton of credit here. But I'll tell you what, Rudy Gobert ain't averaging 21.5 points per game on 70% shooting with Chris Paul. Guaranteed. There are 19 starting centers in this league that wouldn't be able to do that. Probably more. If, if, the, if a team has a starting center anymore. So good luck. Good luck to the Dallas Mavericks. Because DeAndre Ayton has not only – listen – He's one of the most improved players defensively in this league in the last two seasons. No, there's, there's not a single person in the league that would argue with that, that he's one of the three most improved players in this league on the defensive side, yet has continued to work on his offensive game and has developed himself into a really good mid-range jump shooter. That floater that he's got from the, from the free throw line, from the, from the circle there, always looks nice. In fact, I think... Reggie Miller called it automatic in game one. And that 18-foot jump shot that he's got now, damn, good luck. Because now you have the most efficient scorer at the center position in the NBA to go along with Devin Booker, extremely efficient, Chris Paul, extremely efficient. Good luck. (laughs) That's all I can say is, you know, where does where does where do they where do how do you answer how do you, like how do you defend that you can't unless you have a freakishly athletic big man, aka Milwaukee Bucks. Bad matchup for the Phoenix Suns. So we'll see. I, listen, I don't think there's a team in the West that will contend with the Phoenix Suns. I, I've said it all along. I said it from the beginning of the season. I don't think there's a team in the West that will contend with the Phoenix Suns. Now, there are some athletic guys out there. As I mentioned, the aforementioned Memphis Grizzlies, and they've given the Suns trouble this year, right? Jaron Jackson, extremely athletic. Brandon Clark, previously mentioned, extremely athletic. Those are guys that can run with DeAndre Ayton. And obviously their backcourt is extremely athletic as well. Young, but athletic. 
I think the Memphis Grizzlies are the threat for the Suns. Not the Warriors, not the Mavericks, certainly. But they got to escape their series against Golden State first. All right. We're going to take a timeout. When we return, we'll start talking some NFL, maybe squeeze in some NHL playoffs as well. Exciting night in, uh, uh, in, the, uh, in the, uh, hockey, uh, the, on the hockey rink last night uh, as well. So uh, still a whole lot more to come. Stay tuned here to the Jeff Dean Show. The Jeff Dean Show on ESPN Tucson is brought to you by Desert Diamond Casinos. Desert Diamond is true Tucson. More of the Jeff Dean Show on 1490 AM, 1049 FM, ESPN Tucson. Just trying to figure out what my SGP bet for tonight is going to be with the Phoenix Suns. Looking to put something together for them in the playoffs, of course. You can make every game feel like Game 7 on FanDuel Sportsbook, which is the official betting partner of the NBA. Throughout the playoffs, all customers can place their no-sweat same-game parlay each week. Now, the same game, uh, the no-sweat same-game parlay basically just asks that you go to the promotions section of the Sportsbook page there, uh, click on the no-sweat SGP, Opt in, click the little opt in button and bet now. Whatever you want to, you know, whatever you want to put together as far as an SGP goes, uh, your same game parlay. If that bet doesn't win, FanDuel is going to compensate you with up to twenty dollars in free bets. I've already got my free bet for the week because I, Chris Paul, only had three assists in game one, and that wasn't enough to complete my parlay card, unfortunately. So I've got my free bet waiting for me on FanDuel Sportsbook, and you could have yours if your same game parlay doesn't win as well. And I trust me, I want you to win. I, you know, I'm not rooting for you to lose, obviously. Uh, but if you do, you got a little uh, safety net there waiting for you. And FanDuel has so many ways for you to customize your parlays. Your way, you can choose from a litany of options. I'm kind of getting a little more creative this morning with mine, starting to put it together for tonight's game. And, of course, when you do win, you get paid faster than an inbounds alley-oop to DeAndre Aiden. If you're new to FanDuel, great. Just download the FanDuel Sportsbook app today. Sign up with my promo code DEAN, that's D-E-A-N, and you'll be able to enjoy access to even more great promotions like this one. But, that's, again, that's my promo code DEAN so that they know that I sent you exclusively on the FanDuel Sportsbook app. So lace them up this NBA postseason. Get up to $20 in free bets if your same-game parlay doesn't win with FanDuel Sportsbook, an official betting partner of the NBA. 21 and over in President Arizona. Refund issued is non-withdrawable free bets that expire seven days after receipt. For a max free bet is $20 per week. Restrictions apply. See full terms at sportsbook.fanduel.com. And if you think you have a gambling problem, please call 1-800-NEXT-STEP or text Next Step to 53342. All right, we've got a busy hour number two coming up. Lots of NFL to talk because, well, hell, we talk NFL every single day here on the Jeff Dean Show. That is my promise to you as the NFL has sent out their overseas schedule. We know now who's going to be playing and who's going to be playing where in the five games that are featured over on the uh, over on another continent. So uh, we'll have some of that for you. Of course, we will talk with Tyler Drake, our Cardinals insider from Arizona Sports. He's going to be joining us at 8.30, talk everything Cardinals. And there's a lot to talk about since the last time he and I spoke here on the air. And we still got a whole lot more, including some NHL playoffs and the Wildcats, uh, Wildcat news. Of course, the baseball team last night losing to GCU as uh, the previous two teams had uh, the previous teams had split the two game series one and one and GCU got the better of the Wildcats last night they're up four nothing Wildcats fight back then it's seven to three then it was seven to seven and the Cats gave up four runs in the ninth lose the game eleven to seven gave up seventeen hits to GCU in this game gave up sixteen hits to them previously uh, GCU really good team and, and you know Daniel Susak even said so after the game he goes 
one of the two best teams we've played all year. This this team in Texas State, the two de- two best teams they've played all year. So uh, hats off to GCU. They're good, good baseball program. they got things rolling right now. And the Wildcats will be heading to Los Angeles now to take on the last place in the Pac-12 USC Trojans in a three-game set over the weekend, a must-needed three-game set for the Wildcats to come out 3-0 on. All right, as I mentioned, still hour number two to go. Just a quick little turnaround here. Stay tuned. A whole lot more to come on the Jeff Dean Show on 1490 AM, 104.9 FM, ESPN Tucson. Let's send it out to SportsCenter. This is ESPN Tucson. 1490 KFFN AM Tucson. K285DL1049FM Tucson. And KMXC HD4 Tucson.